Good morning. Great to be with you. We are going to continue through the book of Matthew this morning, and we're going to talk about uh, Mysteries of the Kingdom, Part 1. Mysteries of the Kingdom, Part 1. But before we do, let's pray together again. Uh, Lord Jesus, we come before you now, and we just confess that we need you, Lord. You spoke these parables some 2,000 years ago now, but you were teaching people what your kingdom is like. And Lord, I can think of um, hardly anything that's more important than for us to know what your kingdom is like. And so, Lord, I pray that you would grant us understanding this morning. I pray, as we talked about earlier, that we wouldn't be like the Israelites who, hearing, they did not hear, and seeing, they did not see. So, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see this morning, that you would help us, that you would help to clear away, God, the fog of our minds, the distractions of the world, that you would grant us a moment of divine clarity this morning to see reality as it truly is, and to be faithful citizens of your kingdom. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. And as you do, I just want to ask this question. If I was going to ask you, if I asked you this question, what is the fundamental struggle of our age? What is the fundamental struggle of our age? How would you answer that question? Think about it for a second. What is the fundamental struggle of our age? You know what's interesting is how, how, how strictly time-bound we are as creatures. For example, if you were born 3,500 years ago as a Jew in Egypt, you probably would answer that question by saying, well, the fundamental struggle is between the Jews and the Egyptians because they won't let us go. If you lived in the early part of the last century, you might have thought that the fundamental struggle was the West against the Third Reich and Nazi fascism. If you lived a couple decades after that, you might have said that the fundamental struggle of our age was that between free countries, America and communism. But I want to suggest to you this morning that there is a more fundamental struggle than all of these. A struggle that ultimately characterizes humanity and history. The only struggle that really matters, the struggle behind every other struggle. A struggle that will one day be cataclysmically resolved by the inbreaking of Jesus Christ on this world. I think that's part of the mystery that we learn from these parables this morning as we talk about mysteries of the kingdom. And so if you're able and willing, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. We're going to read Matthew 13, verses 24 through 30, and then we're going to jump down to verse 34 to 43. 
says this, verse 24, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, the enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Verse 34, all these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. And he answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels. They will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. The word of God. You may be seated. I want to look at this passage under four headings this morning. Number one, the kingdom has an enemy. The kingdom has an enemy. Number two, the kingdom is mingled with the world. The kingdom is mingled with the world. Number three, the kingdom will be revealed by judgment. The kingdom will be revealed by judgment. Number four, the kingdom is a mystery revealed by Christ. The kingdom is a mystery revealed by Christ. First, what I want us to see here is that the kingdom has an enemy. The kingdom has an enemy. And so last time we talked about how Jesus' parables were meant to both conceal and to reveal, right? And so they're meant to conceal and to reveal. And in fact, Jesus said, you know, uh, earlier, uh, he quoted Isaiah, he said, uh, talking about the Jews, you will indeed hear but never understand, you will indeed see but never perceive. The people's hearts have become, have grown dull and with their ears they can barely hear and their eyes they have closed. But to those with ears to hear and to those with eyes to see, the mysteries of the kingdom would be revealed to them. And this is important because, of course, there were many misconceptions about the kingdom, just as I would suggest there are many misconceptions about the kingdom today. And so for those with ears to hear and eyes to see, we can learn what the kingdom is actually like so that we can have proper expectations about it. So this, this 
parable, along with most of the others, shows how the kingdom defies defied expectations, especially those many, uh, many of those within Jesus, uh, who were Jesus' contemporaries. He begins this parable by saying that there are two sowers. Okay? There are two sowers. They're the, they're, and so we read the parable and its interpretation together here. That there's the son of man, and he sows the good seed, and then there's the evil one who sows the bad seed, or the enemy. Okay? Now, one of the, one of the key points, I think, in this parable is that is the, is the plane in which this parable is taking place is a field, but Jesus identifies that field as the world. So we understand then that what Jesus is talking about is the, is the, the sphere of human existence, the world. He's telling us the story, the background, what is really happening with respect to the, the entire world that we live in, the people that we interact with every day, our friends, our family, our co-workers, the people on the news and television, politics. This is behind all of those things. The field is the world. Okay? And so one of the things that I think Jesus wants us to know and understand here that was shocking, I believe, to the people of his day is that the kingdom of heaven is seen as initially playing out within the sphere of the world. And so that means that the that the kingdom of heaven is, is, I think the best way to think of it is that the kingdom of heaven in Jesus Christ has broke in to, to the world. The, the new age, the new life, the, 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 the new creation, if you will, is breaking into the old creation through Jesus Christ. He is, he is already working now what will, bring, what will be brought fully to consummation at the end of the age. This is what theologians call inaugurated eschatology, which means it, it begins, it begins, it's inaugurated, right? The beginning is in Jesus, but then that's just the beginning. It's, it's, it's heading towards a point where it will be consummated, what will be brought to its fullness. That is where Jesus Christ is preached and believed on now, today, when a person repents of their sins and believes in Jesus, the Bible says, behold, he who is in Christ is a new creation. That is, the new creation is right now. It's, it's starting right now. It's not, just a, it's not just a spiritual reality in the by and by. When a person today, that could happen today as they're listening to the sermon, turns from their sins and believes in Jesus Christ, a divine, a supernatural divine work by the Holy Spirit takes place in their heart and they are literally made new by the Spirit of God. And then that is the, that is the kingdom of God doing what? Breaking into this world, right? So the kingdom of heaven initially plays out within the world. And so that, that was quite shocking, I believe, to many of the Jews in his day because they were expecting this, uh, this cataclysmic inbreaking, okay, where uh, Israel would become this great nation and cast off Roman power. They, they just thought of it in, in sheer terms of politics. And Jesus says it's not like that. It's, it's the divine inbreaking into the world. It's a spiritual reality first. Okay? So there's the good sower, and then there, there's the who sows the sons of the kingdom, he says. And then there's the enemy, the bad sower. He says he's spreading those called the sons of the evil one. The sons of the evil one. Now what's shocking here is that 
quite plainly here, Jesus is saying that those who reject him, who reject God's authority, God's kind, gracious, loving authority in their lives, they're referred to here as sons of the evil one, sons of the devil. Now, of course, this is offensive, but it's the truth. Jesus told the Pharisees, the most religious people of his day, you are of your father, the devil. That's what he told them, that to their faces. This, it's a way to what? It's, I mean, I wouldn't, rec- I wouldn't recommend go telling people you're a son of the devil. Okay? But what Jesus is saying is that he's, he's, he's trying to what? He's giving us categories to understand reality, right? Remember, in the very first sin, the primordial sin, right? After, after uh, Adam and Eve ate the fruit, God came and he cursed the serpent, right? And he said, I will put enmity between your offspring and her offspring, you shall bruise his head, uh, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Well, what is that? I would say it's the same thing that Jesus is talking about here. That the human history is going to be characterized by what? Two different kinds of offspring. Those who are fundamentally self-oriented, pride-oriented, autonomy from God-oriented. I'm going to do me without respect to God-oriented. What is that? That's the devil. That's exactly what the devil wanted to do. The devil didn't want God to be God. He wanted to do what he wanted to do. Well, if you act like, if you have that same spirit within you that you want to do what you want to do without respect to God's authority, then, strictly speaking, you are an heir, a child of the devil because that's the same spirit that's in him. So there's two fundamental spirits in the world, right? We either fundamentally in a disposition of faith and trust and submission towards God or we trust ourselves, which in that, in that case, we're, we're just like the devil who did, who didn't want to trust God, wanted to do what he wanted to do. Okay? So that, so that is the story behind the story. We look out there, you, we would look at this field and we just see a field. But the field is more than a field. It is actually a battle taking place between two different kinds of sowers. That is, there's a spiritual battle taking place between Christ and Satan. We know who's going to win. But that, that's, that's the story behind all the other stories. And so if we go about this world functionally living as if this world is all that there is, then we literally miss the point of everything, right? You know, we get so caught up in politics, we get so caught up in this, we get so caught up in that. And guess what? The devil's happy about that. The devil's happy if you focus on politics your whole life and go to hell. The devil doesn't... He's, he, the devil's happy if you focus on so much on the, the, the divisions and the things taking place in our world right now that you ignore the, the ultimate realities that really matter. The devil doesn't care how you go to hell. He doesn't care. As long as he can get you to trust yourself more than you trust God. There's a spiritual battle taking place by, between Christ and the enemy, and that's behind all of the things that we're seeing today. So the ultimate question is, which one do we fundamentally belong to? Are we a son of the kingdom or are we a son of the evil one? Are we good seed or bad? To whom do we fundamentally belong? That's the question everybody has to ask ourselves. And you, do, and you know, people don't, and I just, people don't like to ask themselves hard questions because it's too hard. We don't want to think about it. But I, I just, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something. I'm, I'm just going to press you just a little bit. <laughs> and just say, and just ask, and be honest with yourself. Really, what's the fundamental posture of your heart? Is it towards self, or is it in submission to God? Deep down, I believe you know. 
And I just want to say Jesus is in the business of bringing former rebels who are repentant into the family of God and giving them a place at the table to dine with the king. If you'll follow him. So number one, the kingdom has an enemy. Number two, the kingdom is mingled with this world. And so we see that the plants came up and they, they bore grain and the servants were like, you know, how did this happen? Didn't you sow good seed? How did this happen? And then he says, the enemy has done this. Okay? And then, and then the servants say, well, do you want us to go and gather them? And the, and the master's like, no, no, don't, don't go gather them because if you gather them now, you'll pull up the good, you, the good with them. Rather, let them both grow together and then harvest time will come. And when harvest time will come, comes, we'll separate them out. Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. And so this, I believe, is what, as I said, part of the mysterious reality that the kingdom of God would be mixed together with the world. The sons of the kingdom grow up together with the sons of this world, with the sons of this age. In the original parable, the word translated weeds probably refers to not just weeds in general, but a specific kind of plant called darnel, which as a young plant is virtually indistinguishable from wheat, except that its seeds are actually poisonous. And only later when the plants have matured does it really become obvious that there, is, there are two different kinds of plants. In fact, I have some pictures up there. Can we show those? That is wheat, okay? Nice, good-looking wheat. We all want some of that after I get done with my sermon. All right, and then the next one is Darnell, okay? You can see it's similar, but it's obviously different. But the thing is, is when the plants are young, they're very difficult to tell apart until, until they grow, okay? So in the same way, this enemy has sown, the enemy has sown uh, these, these weeds, this Darnell into the wheat, okay? And it's not until later that they realize, okay, something has happened to our field. We have these two different kinds growing up together. But then the mystery then is this. But then the master says, well, don't, don't pick them out now. Let them grow together. That is what? That is this age. That is the kingdom of this world. That is that we live in an age where the sons of the kingdom and the sons of the world, we're growing up. To, we have to live together. We work together. Okay? We, we exist in, in nations and politics and cultures and societies together. And yet, there's the distinction between the two. There's a distinction between the two. Right? Because the kingdom of heaven is comprised of those who are in fundamental faith and trust and submission to God and to Jesus Christ. And then, the, and then the, the, those of the world are in fundamental submission to themselves or whatever they think is right and good and true, apart without respect for God. Okay? But the mysterious part is, is the two would grow together. They would grow together. Many of the Jews thought that the kingdom, the inbreaking of the kingdom of heaven, would be like the first suggestion of the reapers. Man, just mow the whole thing down. But no, that's not how it would, that's not how it would work. 
the kingdom of heaven would grow in the very midst of the kingdom of the world. That's how it works. We, we're, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We have a different fundamental allegiance, different fundamental loves, different fundamental perspective take on the world. But externally speaking, we look just like anybody else. And yet we're different. We're different. We have more in common with those who know and love Jesus Christ who are from other parts of the world, who speak a different language, who have totally different cultures than us. But if they know and if they love Jesus, we have infinitely more in common with them than we do with our unbelieving neighbor across the street. We're in the kingdom of God. It's right here in our midst. That's what Jesus said in Luke 17. He said, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. It's in the midst of you. This is the great mystery of the kingdom. We are the kingdom of God. We are the kingdom of God. Wherever people have believed in Christ and repented of their sins and believed in Christ, there the kingdom of Christ is among you. There a citizen of the kingdom is born. There is one who belongs to another world, another king, but we serve the interests of our king in the here and now, in the midst of a world that is fundamentally opposed to our king. And yet we serve our king's interests with faith and love and joy and hope and courage and conviction. But of course, there will be opposition to that because there's an enemy out there who hates our king. And he's going to do whatever he can to thwart the kingdom. But the problem is, is he can't win. And yet, this will be the state of affairs. Jesus is teaching us the nature of the kingdom. It's mysterious. This will be the state of affairs. The kingdom of the heaven will grow with the kingdom of the world until... The day of the harvest. And then the kingdom will be revealed by judgment. So that brings us to number three. The kingdom has an enemy. The kingdom is mingled with the world. And the kingdom will be revealed by judgment. He says there, let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat uh, into my barn. And then, he, and then in the explanation of the parable, he says the reapers are the angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. Verse 41, the Son of Man will send his angels. They will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. That's, what Jesus, that's the warning. That's the warning that Jesus gives. He who has ears, let him hear. And so maybe there's somebody that's listening this morning and you've just never really thought about these things. You've just never really taken this to heart. And maybe by God's grace this morning, for the first time, you're actually contemplating these things because God is giving you ears to hear. So I pray that you would listen this morning that Jesus isn't blowing smoke. 
There is a day that is coming in which the kingdoms will be revealed. The, the inbreaking of the kingdom would be, Jesus said, unobservable. And so they, they mixed it up. They thought when the kingdom came it would be bam. But no, it was mysterious. The kingdom breaks into the world almost unobservably. And only much later when the time is ripe does the full final inbreaking of the kingdom of heaven happen. The kingdom of heaven would grow into the world like a garden that fills the whole earth. But at some point, at some point, however, the two kingdoms have to be separated. Those who are the sons of the kingdom must be at some point distinguished from those who are sons of the evil one. And the Old Testament prophets indeed proclaimed a day when God would do precisely this. When God would cataclysmically judge the world, punish evil and evildoers, and establish the full manifestation of his kingdom in perfect righteousness forever with no sin mixed in. But people forget that sin is the reason because of all the problems of this world. So if, that, if there is a world that is coming then without any problems, that means there's a world without any sin. But then how do you get a world without any sin? You have to take out the sinners. And that's what God is going to do. There was a day of global judgment on the enemies of God in the Old Testament, which Jesus is picking up this language. I mean, he's, a, he's more than a prophet, but he's no less than a prophet. He's picking up the language of the Old Testament prophets and fulfilling it and explaining it to us. In Zephaniah 1, verses 14 and 17 in the Old Testament, it says this, The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty, man cry, the mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day. A day of distress and anguish. A day of ruin and devastation. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. A day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. I will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. That sounds harsh. It's because it is. It's because just because we don't take our sin seriously doesn't mean God doesn't take our sin seriously. God, God takes our sin very seriously, which is, which, what, which is what makes the grace of God and Jesus Christ all that more shocking is that if our sin really is that heinous, rebellion against God to deserve something like that, then how great a thing has God done to forgive sinners like you and me through his son. But when he has done the unthinkable, give his own son for rebels like us against his authority, even though it deserves judgment like this, what will be the price of those who not only rebel against God, but then reject his own offer of mercy through his own son? Jesus is revealing this mystery that the two grow up together 
and now is the day of salvation. Today is the time of waiting. It is the Lord's kindness that leads you to repentance. Peter, p- people in Peter's day 2,000 years ago were mocking the Christians, saying, where is the day of judgment? And where is this day of judgment that you talked about? 2,000 years ago, they were mocking Christians. And then Peter told them, Peter, Peter told them, the Lord, the reason why the day of judgment hasn't come yet is because the Lord is patient, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's why the day of the Lord has tarried. But one day, the day of patience, the time of patience will be over. The judgment is coming. The final judgment at the resurrection of the dead. And in fact, in this last verse here, Jesus is explicit in verse 43. He's explicitly picking up on the prophecy of Daniel. He says there, This uh, causes of sin and lawbreakers will be thrown into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then he says, Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear... Let him hear. This is a clear reference to Daniel chapter 12. If you've been joining us on our online prayer meetings, we just finished up the book of Daniel. Just finished up Daniel chapter 12. This is what Daniel chapter 12 verses 1 through 3 says. He says, At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation until that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Jesus is clearly referencing the book of Daniel. And he's saying this is what Daniel was talking about. That there will be a day in which the kingdoms will be revealed by judgment. And who your master... And, and, and at that day, there'll be a separation. Jesus talked about this. He told the parable of the sheep and the goats. So separate them as sheep from the goats. Based on who, who our fundamental allegiance was toward, toward God or anything else. The dead will be raised. I mean, this, this is, again, Jesus isn't blowing smoke. This is the fundamental reality of the world. It's the thing that actually makes all things right, and it makes all things matter, right? If this world is all that there is, and, the, and, and there's no ultimate judgment, then guess what? All the evil that goes on in the world, it doesn't matter, All the people who've done all these terrible things, guess what? They die and go to the dust and nothing happens. That's it. The people who did the greatest wrong in the world get zero justice. Unless judgment's coming. When the dead will be raised and the books will be opened. And Jesus Christ himself will render to each one according to his works. And those who have surrendered to him will be forgiven of our sins. They will be swallowed up 
by glorious, by a glorious resurrection body, and they will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. The kingdom has an enemy. The kingdom is mingled with this world. The kingdom will be revealed by judgment. And finally, the kingdom is a mystery revealed by Christ. The kingdom is a mystery revealed by Christ. It's in, in, tucked in between this parable and its interpretation is this another saying, like, just like we talked about last week, another saying that's tucked in there about the nature of parables. This one it says, it says, All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables, indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. And so, again, I think that this is kind of tucked in there between this parable and its interpretation because it's giving us a, a better clue and understanding about how to interpret these parables. Okay? It tells us about Jesus' use of the parables. I'll open my mouth in parables. I'll utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Jesus understood that what came before him was mysterious, right? That's why so many Jews missed it, is that there were mis- it was mysterious, right? And yet at the same time, yet at the same time, Jesus held the unbelieving Jews accountable for their unbelief, Right? Because he told the Pharisees and the religious leaders, he says, Are you not wrong because you neither understand the scriptures nor the power of God? So Jesus understood that what was happening was mysterious, but when it happened, it should have been so clear that they should have been able to see it. And yet they still missed it. This quote, what's interesting is that this quote It says this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables and so on. That's a quote from Psalm 78. And many commentators and scholars have noted that many times when a passage is cited in the New Testament, what is invoked is not just the explicit verses that are cited or quoted, but actually the the context of that entire passage is being brought to mind. In other words, the idea is that, you know, if, 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 if you're familiar with a song, for example, and I quote one line of the song, you don't just think of that one line, you think of the whole song in your mind, right? Because that whole picture is in your head. When, when, I, tell, when I quote a verse from a Bible story, and you remember the Bible story, what, what comes to your mind is not just that one verse, but the whole Bible story that that verse is embedded in. Well, that's what it's talking about here. When, Jesus, when Matthew is citing this passage, what would come to mind is not just the verses, but this entire psalm is being brought to mind in the minds of the Jewish readers. The psalm is attributed to Asaph, and it's a lengthy psalm. It's Psalm 78. I encourage you to go back and read it. But it's a lengthy psalm that recounts the history of Israel. But if you go back and read the psalm in Psalm 78, what Asaph keeps coming back to is Israel's hard-heartedness despite the continued faithfulness of God. That's what, in fact, it's, it's pretty much impossible to miss when you read the Old Testament, right? No matter what God keeps on doing for his people, they keep on complaining. 
and they keep on forgetting him. And that's what Psalm 78 is about. He recounts the history of Israel, but he, keep, but he brings to mind how everything that God did, Israel kept on ignoring God or forgetting God or breaking the covenant. And so in what sense does Jesus fulfill this prophecy? Well, I think it goes back to what we talked about last time. In that in teaching in, teaching in parables, Jesus is fulfilling the role that Asaph pointed to that no matter what God did, Israel was still too hard-hearted to get it. He sent prophet after prophet, nation after nation, prophecy after prophecy. And then the author of Hebrews says this, in, many, in the past, many times, in many ways, God has spoken to us, but in these last days, He has spoken to us through His Son. In other words, what greater thing could God do for Israel than to send his own son to them? There's nothing nothing else that God could do more for Israel than to send his own son. And they still rejected him. That's how Jesus fulfills this prophecy. It's one of the great mysteries of the kingdom. In fact, that's one of the major themes of the book of Romans is how it is, how in the world that God could do all this for the nation of Israel and Israel still be so hard-hearted. I believe God's going to fix that one day. I believe that there'll be an in-gathering right before the end of the Jews, an awakening, and they'll see Jesus for who he is. But in the meantime, Paul in the book of Romans says that the gospel now goes forth not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. So that in Jesus Christ, there will be one people of God under one king who will reign forever and ever. And you know what is interesting? And with this I'm closing. When when Matthew, I believe, invokes the whole psalm of Psalm 78 into the minds of the readers. The thought, a thoughtful Jewish reader who knew the psalms would run through the psalm in his mind and he would be reminded of how hard-hearted Israel was over and over again. But what's interesting is this, is that Psalm 78 ends with these verses. Psalm 78, verse 70 says this, he chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the nursing ewes, he brought him to shepherd Jacob his people, Israel his inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with a skillful hand. So, the way Psalm 78 closes after reflecting on the hard-heartedness of Israel, it closes with these words, God gave Israel, David, a shepherd, a king. I think that's on purpose because it's, the psalm closes with the solution to Israel's hard-heartedness. A shepherd, a king. And of course, Jesus is the heir of David, the descendant of David. 
Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. That is the solution to Israel's hard hardness. That is the solution to our hard hardness. The true shepherd, the good shepherd of Israel, the heir to the throne of David, the king of the cosmos, Jesus Christ has come. It's mysterious. But he's here. And Jesus himself said, I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill it. And so the message this morning and the invitation this morning is this. There, the story behind the stories is that there's two kingdoms of this world. Which kingdom do you belong to? God has sent his son, the true king, the good king, and if you, if you accept his terms of peace and gladly and joyfully turn from your sins and embrace him as your Lord, Savior, Master, and all, his, his yoke is, is easy and his burden is light and you will find rest for your souls. And you will be granted citizenship to the eternal kingdom so that when he comes, you'll belong to the only kingdom that really matters. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for sending us Jesus, Lord, when we didn't deserve it. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Lord, we remember this morning that we're no better than Israel. Lord, how many times have we grumbled at your grace? How many times have we experienced your blessing one after another after another, Lord, and neglected to give you praise. Forgive us, Lord, I pray. And Lord, we tremble this morning as we think that the day of harvest is coming. Lord, and that there are many, Lord, who don't belong to you, who will be gathered up and cast into the fire. And Lord, it grieves us and it makes us tremble with fear. And so Lord, I pray, as you taught us to pray, that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, that your hand of mercy and saving grace, Lord Jesus, would stretch out, God, to our friends, our family, our loved ones, our neighbors, our land, our world, Lord, to bring, God, more sheep into the fold, to, Lord, grant more citizens, God, into your kingdom, Lord, before it's too late, that they may be spared that day and rejoice with your people to behold our King in his glory when he comes back for us. So, Lord, help us be faithful to your kingdom. Lord, let us... Guard us, God, from confusing your kingdom with any other kingdom, with any other purpose, with any other cause, with anything else. Help us be faithful, God. Help us to stand fast. Help us to be waiting as you taught us, Lord, and ready for you when you come knocking at the door. And maybe there's somebody listening this morning 
who for the first time really understands that judgment is coming. But you have made a way of escape. I pray this morning right now that they would call on you, Lord Jesus, that they would ask you to forgive them and have mercy on their sins, that they would ask you to fill them with your Holy Spirit and change them from the inside out, that they may live finally, fully, for what really matters. Let it be, O God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning. We're going to sing a song of response. This is a great time for you to deal and respond to the Lord, however he has spoken to you. The altar is open. If there has been some sin in your life that's hindering your walk with the Lord, you can lay it down today. If you want to follow Jesus Christ, now's your opportunity. You can come down here and talk to me. I'd be glad to talk to you. If you're watching online, you can contact me on social media. Don't wait. Message, you can message me on Facebook right now through the church Facebook page right now, and I'll get back with you as soon as I can. However the Lord is re- speaking to you, please respond. Let's all stand as we sing. seated. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning. I did have one more announcement I wanted to make, and that is our sister Deborah and Larry are getting married, and, and, um, and yeah, and um, they, they'd like to invite you all to the wedding. Um, it, next Saturday at 1 p.m., it's going to be drive-in wedding and, and we're gonna have, we're gonna have the we're gonna we're gonna have it right here at the front there but we wanted to, they wanted to be able to make as many people as possible to attend by doing it that way 
And so, and they want all their church family to be there if you're available. And so it's this coming Saturday at 1 p.m. Pull up and celebrate this time. Is there anything else you wanted to? Yeah, we're going to have, yeah, we'll have some kind of uh, in-person fellowship with that later on. So please, please come celebrate with them if you're able next Saturday at 1 p.m. Does anybody have anything else they'd like to share this morning? All righty. Uh, Brother Chris, would you mind closing us in a word of prayer?